Richard Alpert, the two on a brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is two guests. One of them is uh, managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, making an unlikely Wednesday appearance on Fangraphs Audio. That is an unlikely Wednesday appearance. The other guest is a noted writer for Yahoo Sports and an ally of the site uh, in what one might call mainstream media. His name is Jeff Passan. In the not uh, entirely distant past, Kansas City Royals outfielder Alex Gordon took the lead over Angels outfielder and wonderkind Mike Trout on the award leaderboard. Not very long after that, Passan, Jeff Passan, wondered aloud, which is to say he wondered via Twitter, what that said about Alex Gordon, or if perhaps it said more about wins above replacement and the methodology used to calculate it. At that point, he and Dave Cameron engaged in a civil discourse via that same social media platform. A week has passed, more discourse has occurred, and what follows is the logical conclusion of all of this, which is to say a conversation on Fangraphs Audio. In what follows, you will hear Cameron and Passan discuss the relative virtues and shortcomings of wins above replacement. There's some discussion as to how the metric ought to be improved, how it can be improved, and anyone who continues listening uh, will will be rewarded by learning uh, how and why Passan compares himself to an early 20th century Austrian. I feel like my tweet was like the shot at Archduke Ferdinand. <laughs> Fangraphs Audio features Dave Cameron and Jeff Passan, and it begins right now. No, sorry. Yeah, I figured it would. It was fair uh, to Jeff. He's not yeah. part of this. Uh, Jeff, we usually uh, I just hit record, and then eventually the podcast comes around to the point where <laughs> where people would begin listening to it. Not always, but it usually gets to that point. Uh, the reason we're here, the reason you guys are here, first with Dave Cameron, Jeff Passan, uh, pleasure, gentlemen. Um, Pleasure's ours. Yeah, pleasure's ours. Maybe. We'll see at the end. (laughs) Uh, Is uh, to have a a constructive conversation about uh, uh, wins above replacement. Um, And I don't think necessarily uh, whether it should exist or not, but but, um, what we ought to do, what we can do to make it uh, as good as it can be right now. And I I actually do want to make this clarification. I think, Jeff, uh, the, the piece you wrote recently, um, it's something like uh, the 10, 10 degrees or why war doesn't add up, something like that. I think you're pretty clear about making this point is that you do not care at all to really to associate, associate yourself with that class of sports writer who um, dis, uh, dismisses war, the idea of war out of hand. What you're trying to do is just is to help improve the framework for it. Yeah, I, I'm the furthest thing from that. I, I think those – People who do that, I respect their opinions because I respect all opinions. I just think it's uh, it's detrimental to discourse. It's detrimental to progress, and it, it fosters this nastiness between the two sides that does not need to exist. We are all trying to do the same thing, which is look at baseball in a much more intelligent way and in a way that can explain a great game better for everybody out there. And and this animus uh, between the sides, particularly from some of my brethren, but certainly from the sabermetric side uh, toward the the mainstream uh, journalistic side as well, uh, has fostered, I think, this, this relationship that, frankly, just needs to go away. And hopefully something like this, 
helps bring us together. I'm not trying to be all we are the world here, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think there's I think there's something to be had for what I hope is going to be a, an intelligent and respectful debate on both sides. Right, and and, and Dave, would uh, you would you sort of summarize? I suppose because obviously, um, Fangrass has been the target. Uh, Fangrass and Baseball Reference together perhaps have been the target of uh, slings and arrows. Um, to borrow from an email from Jeff Passan uh, from a couple of days ago, and also Hamlet. I guess I'm borrowing from Hamlet as well. <laughs> um, and uh, but uh, just maybe summarize the position that because I know that you've said this before that this is not we don't you don't really see it as a division between the like, the nerd side and the traditional side. You just see it as being someone who's interested in the game and wanting to figure out how valuable people are. Yeah, um, my guess is that Jeff and I don't actually even disagree on this all this much. By by the end of it, we might be like, well, that was 30 minutes of two people agreeing with each other and being nice. But, uh, you know, I think Jeff's right. We're all trying to just answer questions. And the funny thing is, like, wins above replacement is not some obscure metric created by nerds in order to answer some question that no one's ever asked. This is the question that people have been asking in baseball since the beginning of time. Like, hey, would you rather have this guy or that guy? Would you trade Ted Williams for Mickey Mantle? Like, throughout all of baseball, every kid in the world has sat around and tried to figure out if you trade this guy for that guy, or this guy, is did he have a better season than that guy? We have an award, awards that are based around this concept. Like, it's just an attempt, and, and maybe not a great one. Maybe Maybe it's got some flaws, but it's an attempt to answer a question that everyone wants to know the answer to. And do you have a sense right now of uh, the degree, or what, like, what percentage of front offices are producing now a metric that is similar to war in which they're trying to, you know, essentially account for all of the players' contributions in the field? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know because I don't talk to someone in every single organization, so I can't say, uh, you know, I've pulled all 30. But I know, like, I can say for a fact that I know of, like, 15 at least, uh, and that's just the 15 people that, in organizations that talk to me that I haven't offended yet, uh, that they produce their own internal version of war. They look at Sandgraph's war. They know what our numbers say. They look at baseball reference war. They, they're aware of the public numbers. Uh, but, you know, they have people on staff who are paid to produce even better uh, numbers with their own proprietary data. And, and I think, you know, they might not all call it war, but they all have some kind of, you know, uh, overall grading scale for most players in Major League Baseball and down to the minor leagues as well. Uh, and they're all trying to kind of come up with the same answer to the same question. Right. Now, Jeff, uh, let's start for, uh, with you, um, unless you have any objections, uh, with the the case of Alex Gordon. Um, and I think that this is probably, I mean, this is perhaps uh, feelings you've had for some time, thoughts you've had for some time. But I believe that, if I'm not mistaken, when it was uh, when Alex Gordon passed briefly, uh, Mike Trout on the top of the board leaderboard. Uh, this this for you did not necessarily pass the sniff test, and perhaps you could uh, you could explain what it was about that and what what concerns it raised for you or sort of crystallized for you. I feel like my tweet was like the shot at Archduke Ferdinand. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, uh, I, I have seen I've lived in Kansas City now on and off for almost a decade, and uh, I worked at the Kansas City Star when Alex Gordon was signing out of the University of Nebraska and remember writing the story about him going back to classes as a, a last-minute leverage to try and sign with the Royals and get more money. And I remember him coming up as a third baseman and then shifting to left field because he was considered a bust at the time. And so seeing this evolution of Alex Gordon into one of the best all-around players in baseball uh, has been a treat as a baseball fan. He's a good guy. He's a good person. He works really hard. I like that. Uh, uh, but 
for for two years now, I have been on the side of people arguing vociferously that Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. I firmly believe that. I think you can talk to 100 people inside of the game, and 100 people would agree unanimously that Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. And so as great as Alex Gordon has been this year, and I say that having watched him literally every night because my child, six years old, has turned into a massive Royals fan, God help him, this year. <laughs> Uh, I could not see how Alex Gordon was worth more than Mike Trout. I, I did not, I did not understand that. And, and my, you know, the, the point of the tweet, I, I fully well understand that, uh, there is a margin of error in war and that it has always been there and that, uh, I, I know this because I read fan graphs all the time, because I read baseball perspectives, because uh, I'm genuinely interested and curious and learning more. But the number of people who do go onto these sites and who do see this, the war statistics cited uh, as often as it is in both mainstream uh, and sabermetric media uh, and take it to mean one player is better than the other in a particular year, I felt like that was something that needed to be pointed out and uh, that, that needed to at least be discussed. Right. Well, so, uh, and I want to bring up one question for you, Jeff, and maybe this will help uh, move the conversation forward a little bit. You mentioned that um, you feel you feel that it's probably a consensus, um, if not unanimous consensus, among uh, front office types that Mike Trout is the best player. Do you recognize that there's a possibility that there could be a difference between the best player and a player having the best season? Is that something that could be different? A hundred percent, and I think uh, I think I absolutely would take that into account, and that uh, to, to follow up on that, I think Mike Trout is the player who is having the best season. When you take into account the position he plays, uh, the quality of fielding that he brings out there on a daily basis, which uh, you know I don't think ultimate zone rating and uh, defensive run save necessarily have recognized, but which uh, scouts uh, and others say, and I am fully aware that that may be biased uh, by the fact that Mike Trout is so good offensively, it might go to the uh, gold glove bias that has been in place for many years. But uh, among all of those things, as well as his base running, I would still put his season up against Alex Gordon's and take Mike Trout. Okay. Uh, Cameron, uh, initial response to that? Well, I think the good news is that wins above replacement now agrees with Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> and that, uh, Trout is almost a full win ahead of Alex Gordon right now. So he's not uh, actually challenging what wins above replacement says. Wait, he was which, a month ago. Which, I, I, if I may interject for one second, sure. this was all before Alex yes. Gordon went and had the best month of his career. Right. Right. Uh, and, yeah. And, and, Mike, uh, and, and Mike Trout did not have the best month. Of right. Trout has actually been pretty mediocre in the second half of the season. Yeah. Like, it's an entirely different discussion. Maybe Mike Trout has maybe been figured out by major league pitchers a little bit, but that's you know maybe another podcast at time. Uh, but I you know I agree with everything Jeff just said. Mike Trout's the best player in baseball, and I think this is maybe a failing of Fangraphs is that we don't, and I think we will in the future. This is something we've talked about. We don't have a place on the site that is kind of a estimate of true talent level at any given time using multiple years of data and kind of saying, this is who we think the best players are right now, regardless of just 2014 performance or season-to-date performance. Uh, this is the best player in baseball, even if he's not performing at the best player in baseball. Like, this isn't even just necessarily a wins-above-replacement issue, right? Like, right now, by WRC+, Plus, which I think Jeff would probably agree is a pretty decent 
offensive metric doesn't I, have I a think, lot of I it. Think it's, I think it's the best offensive right. metric. So WRC plus, not not full of flaws like defensive metrics, has Michael Brantley having a better season than Miguel Cabrera. But no one actually thinks Michael Brantley's a better hitter than Miguel Cabrera. It's just those are the results over the last five months when Miguel Cabrera is playing hurt. Uh, and I think so we can see these kind of year-to-year fluctuations. But I agree the way we fr- framed war and the fact that we don't have a place anywhere on the site that says, you know, these are the best players in baseball – using multiple years of data makes it easy for people to come to the site and say, Alex Gordon's number one in war. You think Alex Gordon's the best player in baseball. We don't actually think that, but we've done a poor job conveying that to people. Now, in terms of this idea of conveying things, uh, one thing that Passon brings up is the <clears throat> is that even if Fangraphs doesn't necessarily believe that, the, edit, the editors and writers of Fangraphs don't necessarily believe that if Alex Gordon uh, slips ahead by Mike Trout, by you know decimal points in terms of war, um, we probably don't think that he's necessarily better than Mike Trout, or even necessarily that he's having a better season. We re- we recognize that they are they become part of the same tier of players, as it were. But as Passon uh, notes, that that there are people uh, who exist in the uh, uh, social media, for example, Twitter, uh, will say, "Look, he's passed him on this, and that therefore he is definitely having the better season." It seems to me there is a little bit of a disconnect that in some people will read the numbers as gospel. And I'm curious, again, going back to this point of it being a trouble with conveying this information, how do, how do you solve that? Uh, I, may I jump in on that? Yeah, because, yeah. Because I think, I think the fact that you, uh, you know, you're throwing it out there to people on social media and Twitter, I think sells short this point. Uh, it's not, and, you know, the points I made in the column were, you know, you sort your leaderboards that way. And Dave uses war in his uh, annual trade value column. But it goes beyond that. I mean, it goes to really smart people whose work I absolutely admire and appreciate. I'll throw a question out there to both of you guys. Who do you think is the most mainstream writer who has embraced sabermetrics the most? Uh, Rob Nyer, probably. I, I see. I still consider Rob coming enough from the the say. I'm talking about somebody who has worked at a newspaper who has. Uh, 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 it could be Joe Posnanski. Uh, it is Joe Posnanski. Okay, let's you say know. Joe Posnanski hypothetically and, for and, certain. And, and, <laughs> and if you look, Joe wrote a column yesterday talking uh, talking about value and talking about the MVP and citing war the entire way through as the only statistic I believe that he looked at. Uh, you look at Russell Carlton, who honestly, for my money, I think he and Jeff Sullivan are like the two most interesting reads in baseball today. They think differently than everybody else, and I admire that and love that about them. But Russell yesterday uh, did a column about what will it, or what losing does to a clubhouse and whether there's actually an effect on people and he used war i mean i'm talking decades of war uh, as his baseline number like these are really interesting deep smart questions that are trying to be answered by something that everybody on all sides admits has flaws and maybe it is the best tool out there and maybe it is the best element but my one of my points was that you know this isn't just a small number of people who are unfamiliar with sabermetrics who are using this to try and answer bigger, greater questions. This is something that is used by everyone in the sport now. And that's why I think the responsibility to make it better is incumbent on those who are creating it. And, you know, I think I agree with 
you know, you didn't say anything there that I disagree with. I guess my question response would be, uh, if not war, then what, right? So like Russell's piece, if you were trying to measure the effect of losing on chemistry and how it would show up on a, on a team's results, you want to use a measure that, you know, attempts to uh, kind of quantify the number of wins that a team would lose or gain or uh, change in performance in terms of wins. I mean, I think if we didn't use war, if Russell didn't use war to answer that question and used, you know, batting average, then he would also have to say, okay, well, batting average doesn't take into account walks and it doesn't take into account power and it doesn't take into account position or defense or base running and all these other things. So then we'd have these problems with the study. And, you know, I think, uh, if, if Joe's case, he said, okay, I'm just going to cite war. And I think, you know, going back to the trade value thing where you mentioned, uh, that I quote it, you know, all the way through my trade value series. I think if I wasn't going to quote that, if I was going to quote something else, I would be leaving something out of the discussion. And certainly war is imperfect in the sense that it does not capture everything we know about baseball or everything that could be known about baseball. But I think right now, maybe it captures more than any other number. Yeah. Probably so, but but again, uh, you know, I used I used this analogy in uh, in Death to the BCS, which <laughs> is on, on a totally different subject. But the you know the the people who did the calculations there, uh, you know, sometimes, for example, they left out strength of schedule. Uh, I, not sometimes, I believe they were instructed to leave out uh strength oh no it wasn't strength of schedule it was margin of victory oh, yeah, that's what it was yeah, they right. were they were they were instructed to leave out margin of victory now that is a massive component in trying to evaluate the strength of teams and you know the the argument that they would make is well this is what we've got and my argument back to that is you know you can say that you go from an abacus to a calculator but if the calculator is missing a number then what good is that calculator after all? Uh, I'm not saying that we should not use war. I'm saying that we should be more careful with how we do use it and that we, when we do implement it on a longitudinal study, for example, then, you know, we can say that the, the degree of confidence that we have is skewed. I think there just needs to be a caveat until, uh, until the defensive numbers are better that if we're trying to use this all-inclusive number that this all-inclusive number does have flaws to it and that we understand this and that we recognize it and that even in spite of that we can still take some things just not maybe as definitive as we've uh, approached them in the past i guess is uh, you know this is probably an issue you've struggled with as a writer and trying to mainstream statistics and this is you know maybe not something that i don't have the right answer for is how often would you like to see this disclaimer written like in every post that we use wins above replacement should we have a paragraph at the top saying this metric has flaws and it you know is imperfect and there's some margin of error and we don't actually even know what the margin of error is and we're guessing uh or do we assume that someone who's coming to fangraphs to read an article has seen us say that at some point in the last few months, because we say it fairly regularly, or, I mean, should we just include this disclaimer at the top of every piece we write? I, I don't need, I don't think it needs to be boilerplate necessarily. I think that there are, there are ways, you know, I, uh, I, I know one of the great criticisms, uh, of, of mainstream writers is the liberal, uh, and unnecessary use of quotes. And, uh, for example, I feel like getting a player's perspective into my story is very necessary, but I'm not going to force it in there. I like to 
I like to slither it in there and uh, make sense of it and give it some context. And I think in each of these situations, there is a place in a story where this particular caveat can come contextually, whether it is an asterisk and a, a footnote, whether it's in the midst of a sentence, whether it's something like that. And I, you know what? I, I love the fact that you are trying to write for your audience and that you know most of the people who come to Fangraphs probably do understand this, but the more open Fangraphs and the sabermetric community in general is to the idea that you are going to have people who have a learning curve on this stuff, the likelier it is to be accepted wide and large. I would love, instead of batting average and RBIs, to be up there to see a day where WRC Plus is featured on a baseball broadcast. I think a lot of that, though, comes down to the fact that I'm not going to say you have to dumb yourself down necessarily, but if if we want this stuff to be mainstreamed, and I think anybody who wants the baseball-watching public to become more intelligent does want it mainstreamed, there are some things that we do have to give up, and there are some things that we do have to explain a little more. And I'd like to think that the people out there who go for the super nerdy stuff to fan graphs or baseball prospectus or wherever it may be, would be willing to accommodate that and to deal with it in exchange for a smarter baseball viewing public. Are you are you willing to do that, Dave Cameron? Yeah, no, I think this is you know I think this is one of the the things that I value about guys like Jeff is that you know I don't have a traditional journalism background. I was an accountant before I was a baseball writer, and so these are lessons that I probably haven't learned as well as I should have. And you know, happy to take uh, that kind of constructive advice and say, okay, if if it's helpful to the conversation and to people understanding how to use the tools we're trying to give them to be more upfront with that disclaimer or to make it more clear in the articles we write, then that's something we should absolutely consider doing. And, and I listen, I appreciate this conversation because it, it's funny some of the emails that I got uh, and, and some of the conversations I've had with people around baseball. You know, I, I've heard from reporters – uh, out there, and, and reporters who who are very well respected, not the not the guys who sit there and say war. What is it good for? But but ones who who believe it uh, and, and believe it to be valuable, and and saying that you're a bigger man than I am for for criticizing it, and it should not be that way. Like there, there should not be this divide between us. But unfortunately, there's this sense of arrogance uh, among sabermetricians. And, and I think a lot of it, frankly, comes from the fact that, by and large, the people doing this analysis are really, really bright people. Like, I'm not going to sit there and try and crunch numbers with Tom Tango. He kicked my ass. <laughs> and, and, and when I tried to go back and forth with, with Mitchell Lickman, I mean, I, he was just, you know, he was speaking a different language than me. And I, I tried, and I'm trying to stay with it, but, uh, you know, I, I think that the, when, they're, when they are speaking from atop the mountain – we have been trying to climb that mountain in the mainstream media for a really long time. And we feel like we're getting closer. But there has to come a point at which either a hand is dropped down from the top to help pull us up there or somebody comes and meets us down in the middle 
to explain to us how we can do this and what our role in the mainstream is to make this much more accommodating for everybody out there. And that sounds like a great dog in the background, by the way. Yeah, that's my dog, America. (laughs) I apologize. Uh, I think that what I hear you describing, uh, Jeff, is the need for some sort of sabermetric Sherpa. Is that what I hear? (laughs) (laughs) No, because a Sherpa guides from the bottom up to the top. A Sherpa isn't standing at the top and waiting for the tableau coming down from God with decimal points and division signs on it. Well, you did. How about Zarathustra then? Can he come down and then help yes, you out? Yes, I think that I think that works. I okay. Think that works. <laughs> uh, let's. I want to make sure we address one point before we get going, and that is the question of of how we ought to integrate um, defense, if at all. Because one of the points you raised uh, at the end of your piece, your most recent piece, I think it was from Sunday, very late, or Monday, very early, uh, Jeff was this question of integrating defense, and that maybe if you don't know uh, if you don't know to, to what degree um, the defensive metrics are accounting for shifts, uh, if you don't know to what degree um, it's accounting for, or you, and you don't, it's not accounting for certain, like batted ball speed, um, and it's not accounting probably for other things that maybe will be accounted for someday. Uh, maybe it, it 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 really it's it's questionable whether it should be integrated into war at all. I think defense has an enormous place in war. And I, I've been I've been speaking with executives and trying to get a greater sense over the last few days of exactly where they think fielding matters. Uh, I have spoken with people who think that a corner outfielder can be worth plus 30 runs. Now, my smell test says I don't know if that's true. But again, this is what sabermetrics is for. This is the objective study uh, and hopefully the enlightening of what we think we know versus what is reality. Uh, I've spoken with people who think that defense for individuals is exceedingly overrated on account of the fact that uh, pitchers control at least some portion of well-hit balls versus balls that are not hit well. But ultimately, my biggest issue comes back to positioning. Um, th- this idea that uh, a-, a catch where a player runs 75 feet as opposed to one where a player runs 35 feet because the ball happened to end up in the same place. And I know a lot of war uh, and a lot of this idea of just theoretical runs is, is just that. It's in theory. It's in a vacuum. It's in this idea rather than uh, what actually was happening. But soon enough, we're going to have a, uh, a combination uh, of positioning and of how far people have run and we have to understand right now shifts exist for a reason they exist because of sabermetrics they exist because of spray charts they exist because of video scouting that reveal tendencies and so for defensive metrics not only to ignore the thousands upon thousands of plays in which shifts took place but compound that by not including the positioning data on the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of other plays leads to an egregious gap in what the metrics tell us versus what they should. Uh, I think at best, defensive metrics are rudimentary compared with their offensive counterparts. Uh, and at worst, they're just not telling us what's really happening. And, and this is I, – I appreciate the fact that we now know defense matters. That is what fielding metrics have given us. We now understand the value in an Alex Gordon and the value in a Jason Hayward. It is much higher than I think we would have thought in the past. But to put an actual number on it, I think that's the that's the problem that we're running into at this point, and that's the danger in war with the current metrics we have. 
Okay, well, let me, can I ask a quick question, Carson? Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think I phrased this poorly uh, when we first talked about this a few weeks ago, but uh, to try and phrase it a little better this time and maybe use a different medium where we can have a better conversation, uh, if we if we either didn't put a number on it, wouldn't we have to then assume that every fielder was average? Like, if we just said we think the fundamental problems of defensive metrics are so large, which I don't think I would agree with, but if we said that, uh, that we don't trust any kind of number that can come out of this formula, wouldn't we then just have to assume that Adam Dunn is equal defensively to Alex Gordon in the outfield because we don't think we can measure exactly what the difference is? I, I'm, I'm not saying that. And you, <laughs> Dave, I mean, Dave, you know I'm not saying that. No, no, I, I, that's, why, uh, that's why I'm asking a question. It's like we have to pick some number, right? Like We do, th- we do. And here, here's the danger in that. The danger in that is potentially undervaluing defense. But you know what? Robert Arthur already argued that we do undervalue defense uh, as it is right now, as you pointed out in your column. Right. And I, I think that that is a danger well worth having until we know more. Because you know what? For years upon years, we underrated defense even more than we do right now. And to be able to take incremental steps, I'm okay with that. I'm okay regressing Alex Gordon's defensive number down a little bit. Even though I've seen Alex Gordon play this year and think that he is the best defensive outfielder in the game, maybe the best defensive player, period, in the game. No offense to Juan Ligares, Met fans. No offense to Andrew Fitzsimmons <laughs> or Jason Hayward, Braves fans. Uh, it's it's absolutely the fact that I get to see him every day and that there is bias there, but I find it tough to think there's someone who plays his position better than Alex Gordon. Even knowing that, I would be willing to regress it. And, and somebody in the comments in your column brought up a good point. You know, uh, Let's say that there – I think the example he used is there are two players – one of them, uh, you know, one of them has X amount of offensive war. The other has uh, X amount of uh, offense or Y amount of offensive war. And it, one has X amount of defensive war. The other has Y. Let's say one of them has all of the defensive war. If you regress it, there's a chance that his war overall ends up lower than the other guys, which tends to put extra value on offense. I'm okay with that, though. Until we know more defensively, until we can do something as simple as account for shifts, which are so prevalent in baseball these days, I feel like the the confidence and faith that we have in defensive metrics can't be as strong as it is right now. And I honestly don't, you know, I'm not admittedly good enough with math to understand what sort of regression we would put in place. But I do feel like pairing it back a little and bringing more people closer to the middle would have uh, at least a more honest effect until we truly do have a better sense, whether it's due to stat cast or something else, how good players are in the field. Okay, so the goal wouldn't be to go back to zero. Like, we oh, don't want to have everyone be a zero. So as, I guess as, you, as you said, I don't want to go right. back to four. Okay, right, yeah, and I think we don't, we shouldn't. I mean, I think we were more wrong in the warp days than we are now. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the question is, like, so our defensive metric, which includes positional adjustment, uh, has Alex Gordon at 16 runs above an average defender this year. I know you don't like putting a number on it, but if you were to guess and you said, you know what, just in my gut instinct, I can't back this up with math, what would what number would you feel comfortable with? Is the, is that 16 runs including the positional? Yeah, that's including the positional. So that's not that's relative to all defenders. Uh, 12 maybe? I mean, I okay, don't think... so I don't not think, that far. No, I don't think it should be a huge regression necessarily. Okay. I mean, if there, if, if there are crazy outliers, right. you know, maybe, maybe then, 
but by and large, I don't think that it needs to be massive. I think, I think defensive metrics as they are right now give us at least a decent enough sense. But I, you know, I just go back and look at something like catcher framing, for example. For all these years, we assigned corner strikes, strikes off the plate to pitchers. You know, Greg Maddox was brilliant because he was able to get six inches off the corner. Now, maybe it was because of Eddie Perez. Maybe it was because of the umpire behind the plate. But no longer are we assigning those things strictly to pitchers. We have a way to adjust that. Similarly, I think we need to wait for time to, to figure out just how much of defense, uh, of fielding does involve the individual player. And until we do that, until we do no more, I think it's only fair to go and say, okay, let, on account of what we don't know, Let's at least be careful about this. Let's at least take and, – and ultimately, you know, maybe everything that Defensive War says right now will be proven absolutely correct, and I'll just go and hide in a corner and cry because <laughs> I was a moron forever thinking otherwise. But I, I, I always want to side with more information, and I think that that's the job of Sabermetrics, to wait – until we know something rather than to force something out there because it goes into this idea of what we need right now. We did fine for years without war. Not as well as we've done with war, but we did okay for years without it, and I think until we get those defensive metrics in place, we'll be quite all right still. Yeah, I think this is one of the things where at the beginning of the podcast I thought we said at the end we would agree more than we disagree is because I agree. I think like a plus 12 estimate for Alex Gordon is entirely reasonable. And if someone wanted to say, I think his defensive run save number is five or six or seven or eight runs too high, I, I'm not going to argue with that person. I would be happy to say, you may very well be right. You, there might be just as much chance of you being right as there is of UZR, DRS, or whatever being right. I think the... The pushback I have when people say I want to regress war is when they say, you know, I want Andrelton Simmons and, and, you know, uh, I don't know, Michael Morse to be 10 runs apart. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Dave, Dave, is anyone really arguing that though? I I think, I think think that is a straw man if I've ever heard of it. Well, nobody's arguing Andrelton Simmons and Michael Morse should be close to each other. I think what we're arguing is that they need to, there needs to be some sort, some sort of, I don't know if it's a ceiling necessarily, but something to make sure that we're not crowning somebody a five-win player necessarily like Juan Lagares is. And I've spoken with people in the Mets organization. They don't think Juan Lagares is a five-win player. A five-win player. They think Juan Lagares is a slightly above-average player based on his defense. And I, that is something with which I entirely agree. I, well, I think so. That comes back to Carson's original question, right? Is like, are we talking true talent level, predicting what he's going to do going forward? Or what he's done in 2014, because I think, you know, even our projections going forward would have Juan Ligaris as a two to three win player, because we don't think he's going to be a plus 30 center fielder going forward. We think, you know, the projections for the future might have him as a plus 10 center fielder, which makes him an above average player. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest disconnects here is when we're uh, trying to say, what has this guy done, which is right. for the MVP, what we care about, and what is this guy overall? Is this guy better than that guy? Michael Brantley is not better than Miguel Cabrera, but Michael Brantley can have a better season than Miguel Cabrera, and I think that's the tricky thing because those two questions can sound very similar. Okay, Cameron, I'm curious if maybe a, a solution, because we have on the site, uh, we have a couple of uh, pretty excellent uh, projection systems in in Steamer and Zips, and we also have um, you know come up with a way of, I guess, combining those for the sake of our uh, our depth chart 
uh, our depth charts that we use for every team and use to project the uh, rest of season records for for every team uh, in in, combi- in combination with their uh, rest of season schedule. Is it, it might it be as simple as sort of re um, t- you know titling that differently? Uh, you know maybe calling it something like true talent estimator and yeah, to, so- to give people a sense that this is. This is how we feel about these players, or this is this is how these players appear in terms of actual true talent, as opposed to what they've done just in 2014. So, I mean, I can't guarantee anything because I don't write the code, but I would imagine that we're going to have something like this on the site this off season. Like we've actually talked about this for years of having somewhere on the player page that was not a season to date line, but some box that was like based on all the information we have, aging curves, where he's at in his career. Uh, what we understand through, you know, X years of data, including his minor league data, this is what we think this guy is right now. He's a three-win player, four-win player. It almost certainly won't have a decimal. I mean, it's going to be an estimate, certainly. And just say, we think Juan Lagares is a three-win player. It's nice that he had a five-win season, according to, you know, full unregressed UZR, but we don't think he's a five-win player. And have that prominently displayed on this player page and be like, this is kind of the Fangraph's official endorsement of the true talent estimate of this player. There's certainly going to be variation from season to season, but right now this is what he think, we think he is. Uh, Jeff, do you think that that is maybe uh, one way to sort of deal with this difficulty of war in, in terms of especially communicating the information uh, to the public and to other sports writers, or maybe this idea of having a, a true talent estimate? Um, so, so it sort of draws the attention away from the precise decimal point number of a player's, uh, you know, season war to date. I, I personally like the idea because I'd be interested to see what you guys say it, but I don't know that that solves the problem at all. Any, I think as long as there is a leaderboard that is sorted by what a person's particular war is in a particular year, that's what people are going to rely on. And that's what people are going to look at. You know, when I want to see who's having a really good season, uh, I go to the leaderboards and I start sorting by all sorts of different things. And the first thing that's sorted there is war. And so uh, while that is a nice thing to say this guy is uh, X war player right now, I don't know that that takes care of the the deeper questions which involve the actual calculation of war itself. Okay. Well, that's fair. I think that uh, you guys have both fulfilled your obligations here. I think it's ended... I think everyone's been civil. (laughs) Amicable, even. Yeah, Yeah. amicable, civil, yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Can can I ask one question? Yeah. Since uh, This one, I will try my hardest to not be a straw man. (laughs) Uh, So, I guess... The one thing that when I read your article, and, you know, I tried to write this in my response the other day, in thinking about this, and you said you've been talking with baseball executives about kind of the the importance of fielding, uh, and this is, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, people responded to me as, is is the question um, that you are pondering the possibility that a player could be as extreme at the edges, like a plus 30 fielder or a plus 20 outfielder or something in a corner, uh, or do you feel like, because this is another issue raised in the column with Johnny Cueto being underrated. Do you feel like a larger percentage of what of the run prevention pie should go to pitchers, where instead of thinking that the the run prevention pie is 86% pitching and 14% defense, it should be 95-5 or 90-10? Do you think that more of run prevention is pitching than we are giving it credit for, or do you just are you uncomfortable with the outliers like Gordon or Simmons or Ligaris? I, I think it is perfectly possible based on the smarter people with whom I've spoken, that a player can have an outlier season fielding-wise. Uh, I don't know if that outlier is worth 30 runs. 
Okay. I, I, I just, I, I don't know that at this point. And I don't know either that, uh, th- this gets back to the question about how much of the fielding goes to pitchers. I do think, you know, God bless Boris McCracken. I do think though that there is a well hit balls component to this. And, you know, that, that, that's part of what gets me on the fifth calculation as well. I mean, there's, well, we have, you know, yeah, I don't know if it, we have, uh, that then, might be another, that's yeah, another minutes. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part two, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the well hit balls, the bad at the base running, all the other things. Um, but, uh, I, I, I don't know enough, honestly, to say whether it comes back to pitching. My issue with Cueto, by the way, and I said this to Tom Tangle on Twitter today, and I will say it right now, that was meant to be a sarcastic remark that I wish I could rewrite that sentence <laughs> because it did not come off right. Of course I know that innings pitched matter in, in the calculation. I, I happen to personally believe that there is something very significant, whether it is because of, uh, you know, resting bullpens, whether it is because I've seen guys get hurt again and again and again, that a guy who can go out there and throw 230-something innings is really valuable. When I am voting for Cy Young, I don't have a Cy Young vote this year. I think I have Rookie of the Year vote in the AL, but when I am yeah, voting for... That'll be fun. For, when I am voting... <laughs> I, you know what? I assigned myself that because I thought Abreu versus Tanaka was going to be fantastic. <laughs> and I really wanted to like have that at the end of the year and then as 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 seems with everything in my life the ucl just jumped right into it yeah, uh, yeah. but i i i look at not before everything but it may be the second thing i look at for a pitcher is innings pitched and i think it is wildly wildly important and maybe just in the calculation i saw how you know i saw how tango explained it today and i understand why now but uh, I, I think it just might be a little bit undervalued uh, in the grand scheme. Which, you know, I actually kind of agree with you on this. I think there is something that we're not measuring in terms of, you know, you gave the sixth and seventh inning relievers off, so the next day, you know, the manager can play more matchups, and there actually is a cascading effect when we talk about, oh, this pitcher actually makes his teammates better. The, yeah. one, the one case that might be true is the guy who throws eight innings every day and lets his bullpen pitch the other four days. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, on a team especially with a, with a short bullpen, I mean, you look at Kansas City, uh, for example, and I bring them up because I see them all the time, but uh, they they had a run of close games lately, and Wade Davis, Kelvin Herrera, and Greg Holland were pitching every freaking day, and it is not a surprise that Greg Holland's been out for a week with a triceps injury. It's just not. You know, you, you call on guys again and again and again, something's going to happen to them, and it's just the nature of pitching. Guys pitch to get injured. That is the reality of baseball, and if you can keep guys from pitching, you are doing a better job of helping them not get hurt. Do you really have a six-year-old who sits through baseball games? Sits through baseball games. <laughs> he is he is fully engaged in baseball games. Wow. I, 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 yeah. I, re- I recounted this story a couple days ago on the radio, I think, but uh, my, my six-year-old is at the point now where uh, he, he talks – uh, enough of baseball language that the adults around him are, are sort of like frightened by this little midget who can speak baseball like an adult. And last time we were at a game, somebody bought him like a giant thing of cotton candy because he was able to talk baseball so well. So ba- teach your kids baseball and it will behoove them the rest of their lives. And they get free candy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's Does he know how to calculate WRC plus? <laughs> 
<laughs> he's not there quite yet, but okay. I'll tell you something. The kid, uh, the kid can do math and, uh, already this, this is the truth. Already in his spare time on occasion, he will go down and type in numbers on the baseball reference play index and look back at history and see who did what through what years. I don't like that pitch for our, for one of our. Uh, yeah, yeah, we gotta get we gotta convert this kid to Fangraphs. We're gonna send you a size small T-shirt, and uh, <laughs> we're gonna get him. And I'll line up a Fangraphs internship in 2021, and you can send him our way, and we'll convert him. Yeah, sounds like a plan. All right, well, uh, I, let's end it here. Let's end it here. Uh, but uh, for the for the time being, and stick around for a moment after we say goodbye. But for the time being, uh, Dave Cameron, thank you very much. No problem. Uh, Jeff Passon of Yahoo Yahoo Sports. Shall we say Yahoo Sports? Yahoo Sports, sure. sure. Seems reasonable. Jeff Passon, thank you very much. Pleasure was mine. Uh, that has been Dave Cameron and Jeff Passon. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been a perfectly civil, perhaps even amicable edition of Fangraphs Audio.